This is Paul's letter to the Colossians, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1 and down through verse 14. Let us remember, I read and you get to hear the very word of God to his people. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are, are, that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too were once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches through his word. And let's pray. Father, we come to you today set apart to be refreshed and renewed, reinvigorated, refilled, a day that you've set apart to meet with your people in a special way, in praise and worship and in your word and by your spirit and at the table. And therefore, we begin this time together by looking at your word. We thank you for the preciousness of what it says to us. Help us not only have ears to hear, but hearts to love, minds to know, and wills to obey that we indeed may be transformed by the renewing of your spirit through this time. Therefore, we commit this time and ourselves to you in the precious name of your Son. And our prayer is that the meditations of my mouth and of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, you have an outline with you, which I will refer to periodically. But uh, just to tell you, one of the ways I, li I like to teach and preach is you may have an outline, but I feel free to deviate it 
as I think and as I think the Spirit is leading. Sometimes the Spirit leads during the talk and sometimes it's at 7.30 on Sunday morning when I'm reviewing and getting ready. So, put on your seat belts, hold on to the steering wheel, we're about ready to take off. We are looking at the Lord's Day, number 33, from the Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism. And I would remind you why we're looking at the Catechism. It is a foundation of our faith. And even if you know this stuff, it is good to review this stuff. Because, as Peter would say to his own readers, I tell you this over and over and over and over. This is a paraphrase. Because you all forget. And we need to be reminded. Um, I read books on theology. I've been reading books on theology for about 50 years. And I still go back to some of the basics because I have to remember. Especially as you get older, your mind goes blank. <laughs> but you have to know this stuff. This is the foundation of our faith. So we've been talking about our sin, our guilt, our salvation, and God's grace. And now we move into a section on our gratitude, our service, our thankfulness to God for what he has done. And the section begins by talking about good works. And you may ask yourself the question, good works? What do you mean good works? Aren't we saved from good works? And yes, we are. But we're also saved from good works to be saved to good works. Good works will not rescue us. They add nothing before God. They don't impress him. I mean, when you're the eternal God, you are not impressed by good works of anybody. And you're holy. But once he has created us and recreated us, then he expects us to do that which is good. And you know what? He gets to define what good is all about. I mean, we have a nice little puppy, Tally the Wonder Dog. There are times I call her the good dog. Why? Because she sits and she lays down and she jumps through the hula hoop as long as she has a treat in front of her. And he says, good dog, good dog. Now, if Peg held a treat before me and I sat and laid down and jumped through the hula hoop, that's not good. <laughs> Basically, because I may not make it through the hula hoop. But we are called into good works. You may, may remember last week. Some of you do. That's good. I gave you the illustration from the same book of Colossians. First chapter, 14th verse, where Paul says, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness. And we're calling this side the domain of darkness. And I'm sorry, but right now you all look a little dark. Over to the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. And that's what salvation is. God, in your conversion, transfers you from this kingdom, this domain, over to this kingdom. And you now live in a new land. So when Paul begins the third chapter, having gone through two chapters of delineating what is the salvation. This is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you the hope of glory. And we're not to follow vain philosophies and traditions, but we are to follow Christ. 
How does he start the third chapter? Having this new life. Set your mind on things above, not things below. And that's what the catechism is getting at, beginning in this third section. You have been, you've recognized your sin. The Spirit has transferred you now. The whole work that you are called to do is to set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated, not on things on earth. And knowing that you've died and your life is hidden in Christ, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him. I gave you this last week, that first section, that transfer is your conversion. It is an act. It is something that the Holy Spirit does within you to change you and to transport you into the kingdom of His Son. Today, and I took a look at the reasons why uh, and how do we respond to this conversion into two, into good works, and it's the first part of your outline. First of all, it's because the Holy Spirit works within you. Second of all, because you are filled with gratitude for what God has done for you in rescuing from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. Third, that you are doing it for the highest call of your life, and that is to glorify God, to make Him beautiful through your life. Fourth, to assure you that you have that new life. As James says, he talks about those who say, I have uh, faith, I have works, and he says, he says to them, show me your faith by your works. Because works, good works, are that which demonstrate that indeed you have been transferred. If they are not there and they are not growing, you can really ask yourself, am I who I think I am? Paul would say to the Thessalonians, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. That's all that is. Examine yourself. And fifthly, it's for evangelism. To allow your good works to awaken with individuals a desire to get away from their bad works. They see the difference that Christ has made in your life. For instance, I knew a man, steel worker, rough, hard-edged guy who used to be able to swear up and down. I mean, he made sailors blush. That's how bad it was. And all of a sudden, Christ got a hold of him, changed him. And his life changed, and everyone around him going, oh, what happened? And the longer he grew, the more they could see that Christ was at work. And they became interested in this change that would take place in such a guy like that, especially when he's a foreman. And you know what foremans can be like. <laughs> That's what we talked about last week. And I included it in because you didn't get that in an outline. Now we're going to be taking a look at converting. That is a process. We are called into conversion, a change, an act, 
And we can also call it justification, which is when God declares us right because of his son. That's an act. That's a one-time thing. But as soon as justification takes place, so does sanctification. That is the process by which we are growing to become more like what God has declared us to be. So we are converted, and then we are starting to... We are, there's conversion, and then we are starting to convert. Now, in modern Christendom, we kind of take the word convert and use it as the act. I was converted. Well, that's proper, but it's not. I, I had, I was, there was a conversion that took place. You say, I had, I was converted or I am converted is putting the emphasis upon the I. And the emphasis on conversion is never on I, it's on the Holy Spirit, who is the one who does it, because the Son died for you, and the Father chose you, and He takes what the Son did and applies it by the Spirit into your life. And He is the one who brings you over. See the difference? Now, converting is this whole process by which we make it work. And that's what Paul is getting to at this third chapter of Colossians. He sets the tone by saying, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Overall, that's the idea of what we're doing. And then he goes on and he gives a threefold way in which this takes place. And the catechism picks up on this in the 88th question. When it says, in how, many th- in how many things does true repentance and conversion consist? In two things. The dying of the old man and the making alive of the new. The dying of the old and the making alive of the new. In Colossians, it comes like this. Put to death, therefore, verse 5. You must put them away, verse 8. Verse 9, put off the old self. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. It's really nice to see you all changed from your PJs into regular clothes. I mean, maybe some Sunday morning we ought to have a PJ morning. <laughs> and then you don't have to change it. Goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> You've never seen my PJs. Yeah, I never have seen your PJs. <laughs> But somewhere along the line, you had to take them off. And then you had to put on something else. And looking around the room, you guys have done a fairly good job of putting on. (laughs) But that's the whole idea. Take off the old clothing, put on the new clothing. And how do you do that? Paul to the Colossians and Paul to the Ephesians says this, by the renewing of the mind. Notice he doesn't say, by the feelings of the heart. By some ecstatic experience that you've had. A mountaintop experience. Or even a valley experience. He says it's the renewal of the mind. Because the mind controls how you put off and how you put on. Why do you think we have Sunday school? Why do you think sermons are preached here? more than just coming to the table. Why do you think 
We ask you to read your Bible, get into it day after day and week after week. Why do we have special classes and why do we do things around here like that? Why is Rock Fellowship built not around having a good time partying on Tuesdays and Thursdays, woo-wee, but upon learning the Word of God? Because that's where renewal takes place. Unless you are into the Word of God, renewal will not take place. I, I know this from my own conversion. I mean, a guy, a little kid who went to Sunday school and church camp and sat in worship and remembers very few things that the preacher ever said, though he was an excellent preacher. But it wasn't until I picked up a copy of the New Testament and began to read and all of a sudden my mind was being renewed and the place came where the Spirit caused conversion to take place and now from there I kept reading because it was converting me to the mind of Christ. Word of God, so important. So, like I said, I, like, I love to spend other people's money, so go out and buy a good study Bible. ESV, uh, Reformation Study Bible, uh, and get into it. It should be so well worn because you've been in it so long. That's the summary of the process. And then it takes a look at each, each section of that, pro, that process. Question 89. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt sorrow for sin causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more is the answer. There's an old term that is used in theology that I'm afraid has gone out of the vocabulary of Christians today, which is too bad. Remember when we started this class, I said, every profession has its own terminology, which you have to know. And this term is one of them that you must know. It's a term called mortification, to put to death, to take off, to starve, to throttle to strangle until it's dead. No longer to nourish it. No longer to uh, uh, allow it and accept it. But, but to make uh, new ways in which you live in order that it doesn't grow. One of the organizations I, I'm on the board have uh, boys. And... Uh, Sure enough, about every time they come back, somebody brings bed bugs. Have you ever had bed bugs? <laughs> yeah. They bite. They're horrible. And every time they come back, they have to call Terminex or they get out the special solution they have and put it all over the beds to get rid of bed bugs. They have to kill the bed bugs. I mean, you just don't let them come in and say, oh, you guys are so nice. <laughs> Will you behave for me? How about if you don't go into our beds? Go into the dog's beds. That would be better. No, it's not going to work. You have to mortify. You have to kill them. You have to throttle them. And we are called to mortify our old nature. And this is how it operates. You have to have a new attitude about your sin. Listen to the words that the catechism uses. 
heartfelt sorrow for sins. Paul to the Colossians talks about there is a repentance that is true and a repentance that is not true. The repentance that is not true is you, you got, you're sorry that you got caught. Like the little kid. Or you when you've done something wrong and you get caught at it. And you go, man, I'm so sorry. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It hurts. I mean, you disappointed somebody. Heartfelt sorry, sorrow for sin is when you are absolutely abhorred by what it is. And then he says, to, uh, causing us to hate. Now that's a strong word. But that's exactly the word. We have to have a, a loathing, a repugnancy. We have to desire to get rid of it. And then to turn away from it always more and more. To make 180 degrees. And to make in our life no provision for it to be a part of who we are. You have to look at it and say, that's not beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it would give me joy. I thought it would give me peace. I thought it would give me this and this and this. And you take a look and say, it's ugly. It's horrendous. And then you hate it. We all have our issues that we deal with out of our, our sinfulness. We all have something that wells up from within us. I mean, this is what Jesus was telling the Pharisees in Matthew 15. They were all upset because the disciples weren't washing their hands before the meal. Now, my mom was upset when we didn't wash our hands before the meal because she knew where we were or had been. But that's not what they're talking about. What the Pharisees are talking about is a ceremonial washing that somehow would make you cleanse as a whole. And Jesus said, you're so wrapped up to that. And my disciples didn't do that because you're so fixed upon your traditions. You're so fixed upon uh, what you have set up that even countermands the will of God. He would go on and say, the word of God says, honor your father and mother, but you set aside gifts that you have. You call them Corbin, that is used for sacred uses. And therefore, you will not use them to help your mother and father, and you violate the commandment. And he leaves them with that and then goes out in the crowd and says, beware of the leavens and of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It is not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It is what comes out of a man. For out of a person comes adultery, lust, hatred, anger, malice. Basically the same list that Paul puts here in Colossians 3. The heart of the matter is it's a matter of the heart. And you have to see how wicked and how lovingly the heart deals with that old nature. It's like this. Here you, you've, you've been in the domain of darkness. You've been transferred over to the kingdom of his son. And yet you want to straddle both ways. You want a foot in the kingdom and a foot of the domain because this is what was, gave, gave you pleasure at one time and this is what gave you meaning. 
And yet you know that if you stay there, it's a domain of darkness. You want to be over here. And if my legs were long enough, I'd sit, I'd stand on either side and say, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be human. And Paul is saying to us as a confession, the catechism is saying to us, no, you pick up your foot from here, you realize, you look at this, and these, this is horrible over here. I can see they're really in love with me this morning. This is horrible. This is what I really want. This is where I really want to live. And notice the catechism puts it as a process. Not as a simple action. It says, turn from it always more and more. Little by little, you turn. As you begin to understand. You know, this whole process of converting is, is the Spirit telling you and showing you some area of your life. And fortunately, providentially, He does not show you the whole thing at one time. It would be overwhelming. But little by little, he shows you an area of life you have to deal with. And he'll show you how to deal with it. For instance, one of the issues of our culture is lust. Both from the male and the female side. And so you watch TV and you see these commercials. I mean, I see on TV now things that we never even thought of when I was growing up. And you can watch shows that just promote it. And it's not just TV, not just sitcoms and things like that. But look at how the women and the men dress, even in news shows. And you're going, whoa, where do I get my news? Well, turn off the picture, listen to the, to listen to the words. But you, you see, the whole culture wants to draw you back in here. But when the Lord shows you an area in your life you need to deal with, you remember, I'm over here. And I have to learn the process of getting from here to there in being converting myself. Being converting from one to the other. That's what that first question deals with. The second aspect of it is in question 90. What is the making alive of a new man? And the, the answer is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works. A heartfelt joy in God through Christ. This is obviously the operation of the Spirit. Because when you lived over here in this domain, the last thing you wanted was to live for God. Primarily, you were living for yourself. What pleases me? What do I want to do? What plans do I have? How, how then shall I live? I'll live the way I want to live. It doesn't matter what God wants. Because... Uh, when you're over here in the domain of darkness, you hate God. It's the last thing you want is to be in His presence because His holiness overshadows your sinfulness. Uh, 
And it's, it shows you how horrendous it is. But when you have made that change and when you are realizing you are called to put off and to put on, it's a great joy. It becomes the delight of your life to do what God wants you to do. You remember the story of Israel? Oh, certainly you do. Sure. No problem, right? The story of Israel is that they were rescued from Egypt. The problem is Egypt wasn't rescued from them. It was still in there. So God does you know, miraculous things. Sacrifice of the first child. Parting of the Red Sea. I mean, can you imagine sitting on the seashore and watching it go and the land be dry enough that you can go across right then? You don't have to wait four days for the rain to stop and the, the ground to get dry. And God has fed you with manna and water and quail and you're still looking at the leeks and the garlics of Egypt, and you begin to grumble about all that takes place, that you are more excited about the old life than you are in the in life of the new, the uh, new life, and you begin to grumbling. And, and Peter Paul says this about that. First Corinthians ten: We must put, not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. I mean, they were like little kids. Mommy, why can't I have cake for breakfast? Why can't I eat ice cream whenever I want? You don't love me. Actually, they love you more for not giving you cake at breakfast. We have a couple granddaughters who love cake, and it drives them up the wall. I mean, it just gives them so much energy, they're just uncontrollable almost. And we're going, no, 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 you're not getting cake. We are civilized here. We are not barbarians. <laughs> We are people who have to live with you for a few hours. You're not having cake. But you see, we grumble. And grumbling is a sign of still living in the domain of darkness, not being in the kingdom of life. Think about it. Maybe the times you like to grumble. Oh, God, why did you give us this day? It rained. It's snowing. It's going to be cold. And yet in his providence, he said, that's exactly the day I want you to have. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Why is it, Lord, that that accident happened? And he's really saying, look, I have a purpose for it. It's for your betterment, believe it or not, and eventually you'll get to see it. But we grumble. When I was a little kid, my parents bought two bicycles. One was this beautiful, red, new bike. 
Back then, we only had three speeds. We were barbaric back then. <laughs> three speeds. The other one was a used green with missing some of its paint. It was a three-speed, but boy, it looked ugly. And I looked at the two of them, I said, the red one's for me. And my mom said, no, it's for your older brother. <laughs> I go, oh, man. But you know, I learned to love that green bike because I could do anything with it, and I couldn't make it look any worse than it already was. <laughs> and it worked fine. It worked as good as a red bike. And in fact, I probably used my green bike more than my brother used his red bike. See, we grumble at the wrong things. But to be quickened is to build a new attitude about God, to have joy in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, His ways. Jesus says, to, gives a parable about uh, several things, Matthew 13, but He says the one about a man who is out in the field and he finds a treasure. And for the joy that was his, he sold everything he had to buy that property to be able to get that treasure. Or he took a, as a merchant who was searching for a pearl and he found a pearl of such great price that he sold everything in order to buy that pearl. And what happens in that converting that takes place, that process? All of a sudden you realize Jesus is my greatest treasure. He's more of a treasure to me than my sin was over here. He's more of a treasure to me than what it was like to live in the domain of darkness now that I'm in the, in the kingdom of light. And that's what we're called to do. And not to do it grudgingly, but to do it to His glory and with a life filled with gratitude. That's the putting on of a new person. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work to show you how hideous this kingdom is and your sin, how gorgeous this kingdom is and the beauty of your Savior. And to say, I would rather be here and do this than be over here and do that. And the Spirit does it little by little. He'll pick a little bit of your life and deal with it until the day you die and the work isn't quite finished but it's close and he says welcome into the kingdom and he changes he converts you fully into the glory of the son then there's this last question what are good works well that's a good question I could ask good works and you could give me answers and if you ask somebody out on the street what are good works well, good works is giving to this cause or that cause or doing this or, or good works as parking as far as you can away from the doors and the parking lot so the people who come last don't have to walk so far. Or those who have little children or who have physical disabilities can park near the doors and not take the prime, as prime parking places. Well, that's good works. But that's not what they talk about. Good works are those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God unto His glory and not such as rest on our own opinion or commandments of men. 
They proceed from true faith. They proceed from resting in God, relying on his promises, which is another reason why you get to know the word of God, so you know his promises. You're trusting in his character, who he has defined himself to be in his word, in manifesting our thankfulness for who he is. It conforms to the will of God. Ephesians 2 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are, we are his workmanship, his piece of art. We are his Michelangelo. We are his Raphael. We are the, the beautiful things that he has created. We are his Grand Canyon but we are created for good works that he has prepared beforehand. That is, before the foundation of the world, before you were ever a twinkle in your mother's eye, he prepared you for these good works. Again, you, that's part of faith. Well, Lord, you have brought me through some things in my life. I don't understand why. But you brought me through them because this prepares me to do what you've called me to do now. You are called to be comforted by the comfort which, which he gives in order that you may comfort others. See, I can't talk to someone who's ever been in jail because I don't know what it's like to be in jail. I've seen the movie. I've seen James Cagney in the movies. I have seen what it's like. I've never experienced it. I wouldn't know what it's like. I can't sympathize fully with a woman who gives birth because fortunately, I've never given birth. <laughs> Pain and agony. I can have some idea. I've been there for four births. But never know experience. But you can't. I've lost mother and father. I am now one of the top generations of our family. That means they all look up to us. And I'm going, no, that's wrong. <laughs> There are things that I can talk with and deal with that you can only talk with and deal with with others. That's why evangelism is never person, the role of one person. It is a realm of the whole church because you each bring something that you can share with somebody who comes into this church. Um, I like to meet people. I like to find areas of commonality Oh, you lived in Pittsburgh. Yes, I knew you were good. And then there's some people I'm going through the list and I'm going, there's nothing we have in common. Other than we're sinners in need of saving grace of Christ. But how am I going to relate to this person? now? But there's someone who's next to me who knows exactly what this person is going through. See, that's how God made a body for it. And when you fail to do the good works, you are letting down the family. I don't know about you, when I left the house periodically, my mother would look at us, kind of shake her, said, shake her head and go, don't let the family down. When you're out there, don't soil the name of Gerhardt. Be careful. And that's exactly what we do when we don't do our good works that have been prepared beforehand. We let the whole family down. They conform to God's will and according to the Lord to the law of God. 
And that's what we're going to start studying next week. We move from the good works into how do you define good works, and we're going to start taking a look at the Ten Commandments. Not suggestions, commandments. And these are the boundaries we have. You ever notice how most, if not all, playgrounds around elementary schools have fences? You know why that is? They had an experiment of taking the fences away. You know what happened? All the kids congregated into the middle of the playground because it was safe there. They put the fences back in, and all of a sudden they used the whole playground because boundaries gave them security. God's commandments are our boundaries that give us security as how we live for Him, and that's why you study them. They are as applicable to us today, even though Christ has fully, fully fulfilled them on our behalf. They aim at God's glory. Our good works are meant to magnify Him. Or as it may, you may look at it, it says, they are meant to show His beauty. And they supersede our own opinion. I don't know about you, I go to the doctor, I want to listen to His opinion. I can go in and have my opinion about what's wrong and what the guy ought to do, but this guy has spent his life learning medicine. And my opinion in some ways means almost nothing compared to his. Because I think it's something and he looks and takes a chart and he does all the readings and everything. No, 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 no. Mr. Gerhardt, Mr. Gerhardt, you think you're a doctor. No. See, we come up with our opinion. There is prominent pastor in our day and age who's saying the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable to Christians. Or the Pharisees to Jesus. Well, let's add these things to it or we can so change the law that we don't have to honor our parents. That Matthew 15 passage. Now, we need to realize God is a whole lot smarter than we are and He knows what it's like living here. And he knows the best way to live over here. And that's why he gives us the commandments. And that's why we take a look at them. And that's why we have to know them. I was going to do the test, but oh, we've run out of time. So I'll spare you from the test. The test would be, tell me the Ten Commandments. 90% of Christians today have no idea all Ten Commandments. And if I said do them in order, they'd go, well, blah, 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 blah. It says, how can you obey something you don't know? How do you obey something you don't know? You have to know. You not only know the letter of the law, you know the spirit behind the letter. And that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks as we take a look at the commandments. Why? Well, there's this image that Jesus gave to us parenthetically. He's in his home synagogue. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He turns it specifically to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Luke ends that passage. But that's only because that was his emphasis. I think Jesus continued on for the full passage, which is a pattern that they used. And so you would have heard him say, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, to convert their clothing, taking off the old and putting on the new. Why? That. Or you could say, so that. They may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. If you have an ESV and you see a footnote, mine happens to be number six, you look down the footnote and you say, this could be translated, that he may display his beauty. We are oaks of righteousness that he may display his beauty in and through us. And how do you develop an oak of righteousness? Well, first of all, you take a little seedling and you put it into good soil. You don't put it into rocky soil. You don't put it into swampland. You put it into good soil so that it will receive the nourishment out of that soil. Just as he's planted us by his spirit into the good soil of his word that we might receive the nourishment from it. And then he takes, you take and you put a stake and you tie the tree to a stake. Otherwise, as it grows, it's going to go right over. But you stake it in order that it grows straight. And the law of God is that stake that he has given to us to help us to grow straight and tall. And as we grow and as we expand, the stake is still necessary until it's able to stay on its own. But it's still there because it's trained that tree in the way in which it ought to grow. Straight up. And then finally, you take and you begin to allow it to shoot up, branch out, and give praise. That's what the Lord is doing in this converse, conversing or converging us as we grow. And the good works are us shooting straight up, giving Him praise, and allowing Him people to see the beauty of who He is. I mean, what God that any man ever created can take a human being and transfer him from darkness into light and let him grow. There's only one. There's only one. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are indeed thankful that in your good mercy and grace, even from before the foundation of the world, you would decide to bring us into your kingdom of light. You took us out of the domain of darkness and all the darkness that 
is there, and yet you are still in the process of eliminating and eradicating that darkness that comes from it. You are indeed a, a God who helps us to be planted in good soil and grow straight and tall and branch out and show the beauty of who you are. May we never lag for zeal to be exactly those people. May we never forsake the call that you have upon our life. May our trust, our faith, our desire that you be glorified over, help us to overcome every weakness and darkness that we have. That people would see us and see you and give praise to your name. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.